Well, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> it is. Are you happy? <laughs> yeah, a new year. Wow, 2023. This sounds strange, doesn't it? Uh, a time of year that we, uh, we make resolutions, right? New Year's resolutions? You make those? Deciding to do or not do things differently in the next 12 months, or maybe the next 12 days in some cases, right? Um, realizing that if you are going to make a, a resolution, hopefully, for a good thing, for change, which I, which I highly recommend, um, but knowing that that takes a plan, and it takes a process, and you got to accept that. That's why oftentimes they only do last 12 days, right? It's process. And sometimes, depends on the decision, it could be a lifelong process. Uh, Vicki and I, we have the, the custom of every New Year's Day, we sit down together with our calendar. And we try to plan the whole year out. Interesting, by the time you get to the end of the year, how many of those plans did not go as we had planned. But that's why you committed to the Lord, right? But at least, uh, at least you're intentional. At least you're looking to the future. And Lord, what, what would you have us to do? So recently um, in my reading, uh, I discovered something. I discovered this one resolution that, that I would like to make this year. Believing that it would, uh, it would impact and guide all my other plans and pursuits. And I, and I found it in the longest sentence in the Bible. Actually, possibly the greatest sentence ever written. And as many of you know, the New Testament's written in Greek. Well, in ancient Greek, um, there's no punctuation marks. None. And in fact, it's all in capital letters as well. Talk about confusing, right? Um, and we can tell, we can tell when a, uh, when a sentence is a sentence, when it's beginning and ending, it's all based on when a thought begins and ends. And the completion of that thought, that's, that's a sentence. So the Apostle Paul gives us a sentence of 257 words. In fact, it's almost exactly the length of the entire Gettysburg Address. It's a brilliant sentence, and it's just this truth piled on top of truth. And we find that in the book of Ephesians. So open your Bibles or your Bible apps, or whatever you have. And if you don't have one, it's okay. It's going to be up, uh, up on the screen in a minute. But Ephesians chapter 1. And beginning in verse 3, you know, Paul shares this, this single thought. He says, God has blessed us. Let me say amen to that. Just, just there, there's the message for today, right? God has blessed us. And he's going to explore this idea uh, in the widest angle possible all the way through verse 14. 3 through 14, one sentence, 257 words. But before we look at how amazing God is and how in many amazing ways he has worked in our lives, how he has blessed us. I think it's, 
first and foremost, it's really important that we understand how he has blessed us. And there's two words we find 12 times. It's threaded all throughout this passage. And those two words are in Christ. That he has blessed us in Christ. So as believers, we are incredibly blessed. But it is only because of our position in Christ. Only because Christ is our Savior and he is our Lord. You know, this is just absolutely life-changing truth. That we are blessed. That we are blessed in Christ. However, we can't stop there. Because that's not the end of the thought. We need to ask why. Why has God blessed us in Christ? And that takes us all the way down to verse 14. And the drum roll. Oh. To the praise of his glory. That's it. God has blessed us in Christ to the praise of his glory. And a message. But I'll just, a few more thoughts. So last week, um, Pastor Chris um, shared a Christmas message from Luke chapter 2. And then we heard Gabriel announcing the good news to the shepherds watching the flocks near Bethlehem. That the Messiah had come, right? A Savior, Christ the Lord. And suddenly they appeared with the angel, multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. That we opened our service today, didn't we? Worshiping the Lord, praising him, singing that. Glory to God in the highest. Psalm 19.1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. You know, we see that, don't we? We see his glory in all of creation. Did you, did you notice outside today? Do you know where we live? <laughs> it's amazing. Just think of the mountains and the oceans, right? And the lakes and the animal kingdom. Oh, birds. Oh, amazing. So beautiful. And then... People that God created us. Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous deeds among all people. When Vicky and I went to the mission field uh, in 1990, we went to Bolivia. This was our verse. This was our theme verse, that this is what we wanted to do. Of course, you wanted to go and, and share the good news, share the gospel and be part of that, but ultimately it was for this that God would get the glory. He wanted to declare his glory. And it's not just for us, is it? It's for all the nations. And as we sang, right, one day all the nations will bow down. All the nations will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Think about that. Think about what you're planning to do after the service today. From lunch all the way through to go to bed. 
and then work tomorrow, and we're doing it all, all for the glory of God. That's my prayer. That's my prayer for me this year. Westminster Shorter Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Glorify God, enjoy him forever. John Piper says, God's glory is a unifying goal of history. God's glory is the source and sum of all full and lasting joy. Wow. Well, that's good. But it makes me ask the question, so what is God's glory? I mean, how do I define that? I mean, it's really hard. And trying to define God's glory is kind of like trying to define beauty. Right? Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. <laughs> I mean, you have to see it. You have to see something to say, wow, that's, that's like really beautiful. So I confess this morning, I don't understand. I just really don't understand um, God's glory. And for that reason, I didn't want to preach about it today. <laughs> I really did. Oh, I wrestled with this one. I was like, oh, man, I got some cool messages I'd love to share. That would be much easier than this. But I just really, really felt that God said, no, this is what I need you to start the new year off with. Not about you and your message. It's about me and my glory. And so, uh, so here we are. So again, because I can't do it, I, in my studies, came across this. And again, by John Piper. So this is what he says, quote, The glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. All right? His infinite perfections, infinite greatness, infinite worth. Ah, so far, so good. It's the going public of his holiness, is what he says. It's the way he puts his holiness on display for everybody to apprehend. All right? So the glory of God is the holiness of God made manifest. So here's, here is all summarized, and this is his definition. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. That's exactly how I would have said it. <laughs> Not. Yeah, just reminds me of how little I know. But even though we can't totally comprehend it, maybe we just can't get our minds around glory. We can still praise him because he alone is worthy. We agree to that? God, you alone are worthy. And you alone are worthy of all of our praise. We'll go to our text now, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. And this is actually called the doxology of praise. This whole section, this, this one sentence. 3 through 14, the doxology of praise. And since I'm already tired of hearing myself speak, you guys are going to help me. Ready? So this is the idea. You, this is like the hot potato. Get the microphone, and you're going to read a verse. You don't want to, just pass it on. No problem. 
But you get stuck with this microphone, you are reading the verse when it comes up on. All right? Joan, you want to start? You want to try it? All right. So we'll start maybe on this side. And uh, again, just how fast that microphone goes. But, you know, you got it and you can. They're short verses. It's really easy. You don't have to be perfect. I'm not at reading. So. But here we go. We're going to start. This is, again, Ephesians chapter 1. And this is verse 3. Oh, yeah, right there. They're all going to come up on the screen. Yeah, don't have to worry. You don't have to go find. Ah, I didn't read my Bible. I can't do it. No, right, just read what's on the screen, and that will be awesome. And then, uh, and then, yeah, pass, pass the microphone. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Wow. Good job. Thanks, Philip. So Paul begins, Paul begins with this outburst of praise to God the Father, praise him for all he's done, all he's done on our behalf. He's lavished his kindness, his goodness, his love upon us. And this blessing, he says, this blessing pours right out from heaven, from the very presence of the Father, from the very presence of the Son. And because of our union with Jesus Christ, the exalted Christ, the Messiah. Christians are the beneficiaries of every spiritual blessing. That's what it says, isn't it? Every spiritual blessing, every aspect of his kindness, every aspect of his goodness, every aspect of his love. Wow. Wow. That's absolutely amazing. Verse 4. And again, no verses in, right, in when it was written. No punctuation, nothing, no verses, but just for, so that we can you know, track it here, we have them that we can try to follow along. Verse 4, thank you. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless, blameless in his sight. God chose us. Biblical truth. Accept it. Embrace it. He chose the church. He's writing to a church, right? Church of Ephesus. But the church is made up of individuals. So, yeah. He chose you. Now, again, we, we believe, the Bible also teaches that you have a free will. And you need to accept that invitation. You believe and you receive, right? But you, Scripture is really clear. God calls you to himself. He chose you. It's his desire. It's his plan for us to be, to be in him, to be, he says, to be holy. And he made that possible, right? Holy, righteous, through Jesus Christ, in Christ, right? Because you're his, as we just celebrated in communion, because of his shed blood for you, um, then you are righteous. And he says, now I want you to live that way. I want you to live a holy life. You can do this. I'm going to give you the power to do this, that you can be holy. You can live a life without being in bondage to sin. That's really possible. That's really what God expects. That's really what God planned because he wants us to be more and more like Jesus. Right? He wants us to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Every day, we should look a little bit more 
and more like Jesus. Holy, holy, holy. Verse 5. Somebody have a microphone there? Bob. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Thank you. So God makes this sovereign choice, again, through Jesus Christ, that we would be his children. His desire is that we have an intimate relationship with him as our father. We're his adopted sons and daughters. I mean, that perfect plan, it says, actually brings him pleasure. I don't know, that just seems crazy. All these blessings he's pouring out on our lives, it actually pleases him. How cool is that? That he takes pleasure in what he's doing for his children. Oh, oh, I'm going to bless you today, and I'm going to work this out in your life today, and I'm going to use you here today. It's like, well, that... And he says, that's good. Just like in creation. He can say, it's good. This is good what I'm doing the lives of my children. Absolutely, again, absolutely amazing. So we'll read verse 6. Why? Why why does this please him? Anybody have that? To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Thank you. So why does it please him? Because Because the crescendo of his work on our behalf through Christ is his amazing grace. Amazing grace. Praising that he has freely given us salvation from sin and eternal life without us having to do anything. Zippo. Zero. Nada. Nothing we can do for by grace are you saved through faith in that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We can't do anything for it. It's a free gift. No boasting on our part. Why? Therefore, God gets all the glory. glory. I don't get any glory for it. We're so self-focused. Oh, when I receive Jesus, when I change my life, when I... He's like, you kidding me? Where would you be today if he hadn't called you out of the miry muck and transformed your life, right? It's all for his glory. All for his glory. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Yeah. In Paul's time, <coughs> slaves could be redeemed or they could be freed from the payment, uh, with a payment or a ransom. So as we just celebrated in communion, we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ on the cross. He paid our ransom, freed us from the bondage of sin and death. We are not under the curse. Our sins are completely forgiven. And again, it's all by grace. Verse 8. 
that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. That he lavished on us. I love that word, laugh. He pours out like all over you. You're covered, like taking a shower, right? You're just covered in his love, in his grace, his, his extravagant display of his unconditional love with all wisdom and understanding. Now, it could be that he's referring against. We don't know. There's no punctuation. So the wisdom and understanding, it could be talking about grace, or it could be going again with this next thought, which we're going to pick up um, in verse 9. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Yeah, thank you. So it could be, and it probably does go, with all wisdom and understanding, he revealed, right? He showed us. He made known this, this mystery, something that was hidden, something that was unknown. Now we know it. Now we can, now we can understand it. This is the gospel. This is the, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. His birth, we just celebrated that, right? His incarnation, that's Christmas. His death. His burial, his resurrection, that's Easter. For us, our salvation. Then he said, I get this mystery that I'm unfolding right now. It's called the church. That Jews and Gentiles, that all people could be one in Christ. He's the head, we're the body. Wow, that's new. That's a mystery. And he's going to continue this thought in verse 10. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. He goes on to say that it isn't just what Christ did, but part of this mystery is that he is returning. He's returning in power and glory. To make everything right. Justice will at last be established. Christ will rule as the head of all things. Head of the church, head of everything, every knee, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the righteous one, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. No other. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He will reign, and it will not be by popular vote. <laughs> we'll not have to cast votes and wait and... You know, with anticipation about how this is all going to turn out. King of kings and Lord of lords. Wow, what a future. What a future. Verse 11. In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to his plan of him who works in everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Yeah, thank you. Again, in him. 
in him, in Christ. Jesus is the center of God's perfect purpose and plan. Paul can't say it enough that our only hope for the future and the reason we are blessed beyond blessed is because of Jesus. That was his plan. That's his will. It will not change. It's Jesus in him. Verse 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So Paul, you know, he's probably in this verse, probably referring to, to Jews, you know, like, like Paul, who would come to be, you know, the first believers uh, before many of the Gentiles had opportunity to hear the gospel. But again, it comes back to the why. You know, why, why were they chosen in Christ? What was God's ultimate purpose? For the praise of his glory. For the praise of his glory. So Paul makes it really clear. That we might have been the first ones to hear the good news. We might have been the first ones to accept him as Savior. But again, it all goes back for the praise of his glory. Verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And you also. Put your name there. <laughs> and you also, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. When you heard the word of God, when you heard the word of life, you heard the good news of a rescue operation, deliverance from God's wrath, spiritual death, bondage to evil powers, and to sin. And you accepted that. You believed that. You believed the message because you believed the person who was bringing the message. You believed Jesus. You believe Jesus. And the message in the, in the trans, the paraphrase, the message, uh, this actually reads, which I thought was pretty interesting. It says, having believed the gospel, you found yourself home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. Makes you want to sing that, but I won't. That <laughs> you are now marked with God's brand. Okay, tattooed, marked with God's brand of ownership. Your life is not your own. It's not your own to do as you please. You belong to him and to him alone. Again, be aware of that as you're planning your new year and you're making those resolutions. You need to commit it all to him. God, what would you have me to do? Because I am yours. I belong to you. I want you to use me for your glory. Because again, it all has to be for his glory. And that brings us to verse 14. Who is, who is in a dissipation, dis, <laughs> quarantined our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for reading. Well, that was great. So the Holy Spirit, again, he, he's, he stamped you. He's kind of stamped you. It says no deposit, no return. You know, he guarantees you eternal, this eternal inheritance. Heaven and all that you have in Christ is yours. And guess how long you get to have it. 
I can almost hear you, Steve. You said what? Forever. forever. Isn't that amazing? I mean, forever. It's like forever. We, we use that, don't we? We say, oh, I'll love you forever. Well, we can't do that. <laughs> you know, when we talk about people and things, we're only here for a short period of time. So those things change. But God, when he says forever, I think he really means like forever and ever and ever. We are totally, totally secure, again, in Christ. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Look at Romans 8. Go home and study Romans 8 today. Nothing can separate you. You are his, and you're his now and forever. And we're just waiting. We're still waiting for that final glorious day of redemption when all this is made complete. One day. For those of you who are familiar with C.S. Lewis, one author put it this way. He says, for those who are in Christ, it means that one day God is going to walk us through the wardrobe into Narnia. And he says, we're going to stand there paralyzed with joy, wonder, astonishment, and relief. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, what a day that'll be. What a day that will be. So, let us bless and esteem and adore and honor and worship the Father who has blessed us by choosing us for salvation. Bless the Son who has blessed us by dying for us and rising again. And bless the Spirit who has blessed us by sealing us for a future inheritance beyond our wildest dreams. We offer ourselves up today to say to the praise, to the praise of his glory. I've got a, a couple pictures I want to show you. Here are four of the most Famous paintings in the world. So we'll begin with this one. Pretty easy, right? Mona Lisa. Uh, by the way, who painted that? Somebody? Oh, I heard it. Leonardo da Vinci, right? The Mona Lisa. About this one. What's this one called? Starry Night. Who painted Starry Night? Victor Van Gogh. Oh, you guys are good. Your paintings. Some of you probably have these hanging in your... Home, yeah. American Gothic, right? Who painted this one? This I didn't know this. Say it loud. I think somebody said it. Grant Wood. Grant Wood. What a, again, what a famous painting that we all recognize that one. All right, if you get this next one right, like what is called and who painted it, I'll buy you coffee. Go ahead. Like the fourth most famous painting in the world. Got it? Somebody? Hmm? Well, you got that. Pablo Picasso. Okay, the name of it is? Come on. This is so obvious. Who couldn't get that? Worship team, come on. It's called the three. There are three musicians. Did you, did you know that before? I mean, okay, I'll get you a coffee. We have a curry back here in the office, so remind me, Angela, after the service. Okay. 
So these paintings, these paintings are, they're famous, right? And they're worth millions. I, th I, I think Mona Lisa alone, I looked it up, was like 880 million. So just in case you were shopping around, <laughs> looking to buy a, a painting. <coughs> but only, okay, right? Worth millions, but only because of the artist who painted them, really. That's what made them so famous and worth so much. You see, all the glory of the artwork goes back to the artist. You know, I earlier I referred to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. Well, if you continue that with verse 10, <laughs> it says that, that we're his workmanship created for good works. Well, the idea of workmanship is, is a masterpiece. You're his masterpiece. He created you, designed you, created you, is still working with you. You're not finished, sorry. It's, some of us are a little, yeah, rough draft, right? But you're still his masterpiece, a beautiful work of art that draws all the attention to the artist. It all goes back to him. You can just go around today. In fact, I should get you a T-shirt. Say, I'm God's Mona Lisa. Yeah, maybe not. But you're his, and he created you. And we can see that. You know, in life's journey, we can see glory manifested everywhere. And we do. We see it in artwork. We see it in, his, in people, in a sunset, in a beautiful bird, in a story of love. Or heroism. Or how about in the birth of a child? And it all goes back to God in the end. All the glory goes back to God. First Peter 1.24, he says this, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You know, the glory of, of man, the glory of people, you know, it's fallible. It eventually passes away like grass, but God, you know, God is the one from whom glory comes. God's glory is, is really the source of all things, and the glory of God, which is manifested in all of his attributes together, it never passes away. Never passes away. It, like he, of course, is eternal. David, uh, uh, Paul David Tripp, one of my favorite authors, pastor. So he, he writes this. He says, uh, life is all about glory. We human beings were hardwired for glory. We were designed this way so that we would be able to take all the glories in of creation and so that those glories would point us to the one glory that is truly glorious and alone able to satisfy our hearts. He says, we are working for our own glory, pursuing some created glory, or we're living for God's glory. One of those three. But we are always living for glory. 
Jesus not only revealed God's glory on earth, again, as we just celebrated at Christmas, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only one, the only begotten one of the Father, right? The only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. He came. But Pastor Tripp goes on to say, he died. He died so that that glory would be the final resting place of our hearts. Isn't that beautiful? He died so that that glory, God's glory, would be the final resting place of our hearts. Isaiah 43, 7 says that God created us for his glory. So as you make our New Year's resolutions, as we have our resolve, you know, to do what hopefully God wants us to do, I pray that the resolution we'll make is that to God belongs all the glory this year and every year. And I believe if we could do that, I could do that, if you could do that, then we're going to find what our hearts are really yearning for. We're going to find fulfillment. We're going to find our purpose, our identity. And we're going to experience the love, the hope, the joy, and the peace of Advent. But it's all about his glory. So before we close, um, I'm not unsure about this one, but there's another verse I think I'm... I need to read it. And it's rather a disturbing verse. But it refers to God's glory. In 2 Corinthians 4 4, it says this The God, that's a small g, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Wow, that's a scary verse, isn't it? You have an enemy, enemy of your soul, Satan. And he's going to do whatever he can to keep people from receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. Why? Why? Because, because he will do anything in his being, not to give glory to Jesus Christ. Whatever he can do. It's not just about somebody not coming to Christ. It's about Christ not receiving glory. That's really what it's all about. That's the image of a being around the throne one day is singing and worshiping and praising, giving all the glory to him. There'll be people missing from that. Because they're not in Christ. Oh, if you're here today and that's you, please. Again, if I could choose you, <laughs> if I could select you today and bring you into the kingdom, I would. Of course I would. I don't want you left out. But God's giving that invitation right now. He says, I love you so much. Look at what we've just read. It's absolutely amazing. And he's done all that for you. He came 
He died. He rose again. He's coming again so that you could have the forgiveness of your sins. You could know him and you could have life and life eternal. So if the Spirit right now, if the Holy Spirit is opening your mind, opening your mind to that good news, opening your mind to believe that Jesus Christ really is the Savior you need, that he really can be and wants to be Lord of your life, then I, I invite you right now, right where you're seated, say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I receive you. I accept you as my Savior. Wow, what a way to begin 2023, wouldn't it be? What a way. Oh, God has blessed us. God has blessed us. Let us praise him as the angels in heaven continually praise God saying, amen. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. I pray from the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Thank you and praise you. For we ask it in Christ and for his glory. Amen.